Welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters, and joining me today are Kate Bielen and Emma Ajimang, Deputy Personal Finance Editor and Personal Finance Writer at Investors Chronicle, and Special Guest Peter Walls, Manager of IC Top 100 Fund Unicorn Master Trust. If you're an investor, no doubt when you invest, you bear in mind that if you want to make higher returns, you have to accept higher risk. However, some recently published research has identified some funds which beat their benchmarks and have lower volatility than them. Kate, you've been looking at this. What exactly does the research show? Um, so yeah, this is Tilney Best research, which shows funds which have beaten their benchmarks with lower volatility. So it's looking at standard deviation. And that's so that's trying to show you funds which have given you the best returns at the lowest risk, basically. And they've looked at a wide range of investment association sectors. And those include things like UK oil companies, UK equity income, Europe X UK and Asia Pacific X Japan. Okay, so um, which were some of the top performing UK equity income funds with lower volatility than their benchmark? So these include Threadneedle UK Equity Alpha, you've got Franklin UK Equity Income, Trojan Income, and so those have all returned more than the FTSE All Share and with lower standard deviation. Okay, and um, which are some of the top performing UK all companies funds which beat the FTSE All Share of lower volatility? So those include some of the ones that we've we've been talking about recently in the magazine, actually. We've got things like um, the UK Buffettology Fund, which aims to kind of replicate Warren Buffett's style of investing. Uh, I've got Even Load Income and Lion Trust Special Situations Funds um, and a couple of other ones in there too. Okay, now obviously not all funds achieve this. So why did these particular funds manage to beat the index of lower volatility? Well, I mean, there are obviously several reasons and um, possibly all for slightly different reasons. But I think there is a bit of a theme among those, which are that these funds tend to invest in quite high quality businesses with sustainable dividends. And often these companies have quite high barriers to entry. So they're very kind of competitively positioned in their industry. And they're often quite capital light. So these kind of businesses which have have been doing particularly well this year as well, um, some kind of likened to bond proxies. Um, and so they've been performing well and they also their share prices haven't been very volatile. So that is one kind of theme that you could draw out, I think, from those sectors. OK, now you've mentioned a number of UK equity income and UK all companies funds, but you didn't mention any funds that were particularly focused on smaller companies. How have these done? Well, so they... No smaller companies fund actually came out as less volatile and as market beating. And that, that is just because smaller companies funds are inherently um, more volatile. They're, smaller companies are less liquid and they tend to be kind of more buffeted by, um, by kind of company news. Uh, profit warnings can really send shares down, for example, in a way that larger companies tend to be kind of less vulnerable. So none of those came out um, in the table. But I think that's not to say that those are, you know, worse investments by any means. Okay, but so all right, perhaps not um, very low volatility, but do any smaller companies' funds manage to beat their benchmarks? Well, they do. And I think that's the key thing to think about with volatility. I I think it's often kind of termed as a bad thing, but volatility can obviously mean upside volatility as well as downside. And in fact, some of these smaller companies' funds have really significantly beaten their benchmark. Um, So, for example, River and Mercantile, UK Equity, smaller companies, um, has outperformed the FTSE small cap by a much greater margin than the best performing UK all companies fund. So, in fact, these have been very good performers. Um, They just have also been volatile in some cases. 
Okay. And now, Peter, you run Unicorn Master Trust, which invests in investment trusts. How important is a trust's volatility um, when you're deciding whether to include it in your portfolio? Um, I, I suppose there are two aspects of volatility to take into account with investment trusts. Uh, that of the underlying portfolio, as demonstrated by moves in the net asset value, um, which in some cases may be amplified by gearing. Uh, and then you've got discount volatility. In other words, the, the extent to which the share price is volatile relative to the net asset value. And this is you know, obviously can exaggerate movements in, in both directions. Um, as Kate said, volatility can be um, your friend or foe. Um, uh, so it's clearly worthy of consideration. Um, but as my fund is invested in a fairly wide range of investment trusts, which are themselves uh, diversified, I think the overall risk pro- profile is, is relatively low. And that would be borne out by value at risk numbers on the fund, which would suggest that it's, uh, it's less volatile uh, than the overall UK market, for example. Um, having said that, um, I think the fund is clearly likely to underperform in sharp market corrections because, you know, gearing works against you, discounts, you know, inevitably widen. Uh, and in a sharp market correction, uh, they can widen quite dramatically in the short term. Um, of course, I would argue that would be a good time to buy the fund. Okay. Um, now, when you are choosing um, a trust other than um, volatility, what do you think are the most important attributes? Well, I'd, I'd, I'd like to say that it's all about the quality of, of the investment manager, but that's not always the case. Um, ultimately, the most important thing is is the price you pay. Uh, um, and by implication, that, that might have something to do with the discount to NAV. Um, clearly, the investment style uh, of the manager, uh, the makeup of the underlying assets uh, are key factors. Um, but there are many other considerations to take into account, including uh, who are your fellow shareholders? Uh, is there a potential uh, share overhang? Uh, other shareholders that have more aggressive, arbitrage-minded intentions, etc. Um, so really, it's 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 a question of marrying my top-down asset asset allocation views um, uh, to the bottom-up se- uh, stock selection, trust selection process. Um, so it's not always about uh, necessarily mm-hmm. getting the best managers, although it'd be nice to buy the best managers at the cheapest price uh, every time around. Okay. Now, you did mention that um, down markets can be a good time to buy and um, you do tend to take a contrarian approach um, in when you're investing. So are there any areas or trusts that appear to be particularly good value at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think a, what I'd call a mildly contrarian approach works well in the investment trust sector. Um, there's unfortunately a tendency among some investors um, uh, really to try and buy what's already gone up and sell what's already gone down. Mm. You know, it's following uh, performance and following momentum. Now, that can work in the short term. Um, but what happens in those circumstances is that, uh, you know, a good performing trust will be progressively awarded a tighter and tighter discount and perhaps a premium in time. Um, whereas those that have underperformed and disappointed 
might not necessarily be because of their their their, their manager's skill. It might be because of their chosen asset class mm. or specialisation. Uh, tend to see uh, you know sharply widening discounts. Um, so when I say I'm a contrarian, uh, mm. I'm sure you speak to many managers that say they're contrarian yeah. investors. Um, I think uh, I, I say that because not because I, I, I think I'm particularly clever at going against the herd. It's just that I'm forced to be um, by the uh, action of discounts. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the moment, you know, I do see that there's greater value in a, in, in a number of areas. Um, I suppose uh, emerging markets uh, are one, Europe, um, Europe, some of the European funds are looking relatively attractive, and also UK smaller companies funds. Mm. Now, we, the rationale for those wider discounts is, 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 is pretty easy to, to explain at the moment. I think, um, you know, respectively, we've, we've, we've got um, political uncertainty uh, uh, regarding uh, Europe, uh, looking ahead to the elections next year. Um, in emerging markets, we've seen you know protectionist uh, rhetoric from Donald Trump, um, which has uh, led to, to some concerns about the future performance of emerging markets. And with UK smaller companies, obviously uh, Brexit uh, continues to, to weigh on sentiment. Um, in the case of emerging markets, I, I find it quite difficult to to, to, to rationalise why. Um, sentiments should be quite so poor. While I can understand uh, the rhetoric coming from the US, uh, I, I wonder if uh, a massive infrastructure spend and fiscal stimulus in the US is not going to need uh, vast amounts of uh, raw materials and commodities, which uh, generally tend to come from some of the close-by emerging markets. So in the past, we've seen quite strong correlation between commodities indices and, and, and those of emerging markets, uh, but that relationship has broken down. So I think there might be opportunities there. Uh, and similarly, in the UK smaller companies sector, um, you know, discounts have widened quite appreciably over the last uh, 12 months, um, running out really from, um, you know, on average about six to, to perhaps uh, 14, and in some cases pushing up almost into double digits. So I think there's definitely some value there for long-term investors. Okay, interesting. Now, on the flip side, do you think there's any areas that are overpriced at the moment? Well, you don't have to look too far, I don't think, to find areas that uh, seem overvalued by hi- historic standards, Um uh, the list is is quite long, I suppose. U.S. equities, consumer staples, uh, bond proxy type investments, utilities, um, some of the uh, technology unicorns, which uh, you know are, are valued on multiples of sales rather than multiples of profits. Um, but I can't really tell you um, whether or not they're going to become more expensive in in, in the coming year. Um, you know, I'm a traditional long only fund mm. manager and you know I, um you know i'm i'm i don't think i'm um good enough to to run a hedge fund so you know i'm i'm not really sure whether i can point to you in the direction of too many uh trusts that are looking outrageously overvalued although you know clearly as a as a general rule of thumb if uh, if a premium rating builds to Mm. into double digits. I I tend to get quite wary, uh, regardless of the recent track record. 
Mm, okay. Now, um, you've been um, made some adjustments to the portfolio recently, um, and this included selling F&C Private Equity Trust. Um, what was your reason for doing this? Well, I mean, it certainly wasn't a reflection on, on, on the management team uh, or the, the asset class, for that matter. Um, uh, it was, again, you know, more more to do with price. So if you looked over the previous 12 months, you would have seen the net asset value appreciate by about 15% and the share price to appreciate by more than 30%. So clearly the discount narrowed in, mm-hmm. in, in that circumstances. There were reasons for the discount narrowing. Um, uh, this trust has taken the, the advantage of the uh, flexibility which allows an investment trust to distribute uh, realised capital gains by way of dividend. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this era of uh, the quest for income, uh, the, you know, constantly striving to find income in a low interest rate environment, uh, the board and managers uh, have concluded that it might be quite nice to be able to offer exposure to private equity, but with a dividend. So the yield, I think, is about 4.1% today, and I think that's helped to support the price. Um, but as my fund uh, you know tends to to, to achieve uh, try to achieve uh, capital growth over the long term i 'm not really that interested in in, in, in the dividend uh, and I think that re rating uh, has probably um, valued the shares a little bit ahead of events uh, i haven 't got a problem with uh, distributing um, capital gains by way of dividend. Uh, I think so long as you're invested in a trust that does that through a tax-efficient wrapper, then that makes sense. Okay. Now, you still hold a number of other private equity investment trusts. So are you generally positive on the sector? Yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, one of my biggest weightings in the fund has been to listed private equity funds. Um, as you you know, um, uh, they had a f- fairly difficult financial crisis. And mm. There were a number of rescue rights issues back in uh, the late uh, noughties. Um, a number of uh, funds have subsequently wound up. And I think investors, um, you know, have taken a long time to get uh, comfortable with, uh, with, with, with with these funds uh, following the substantial losses that some people uh, suffered uh, back in uh, 08, 09. Uh, and discounts in the sector in many cases went out to more than fifty mm. percent. Um, so that obviously piqued my interest as a as, as a contrarian value player. Um, it was interesting. I mean, I had quite a big weighting. Uh, I've been a long term holder of things like Electra Private Equity, um, but it was interesting that post Brexit, uh, when sterling depreciated so dramatically, uh, that a number of these funds uh, that had overseas exposure um, didn't respond. So discounts as recently as as, as June, July were, were out beyond thirty percent in some cases. So. Having gone from an overweight position, I added further uh, mm-hmm. at that stage. So, I, and I continue to hold uh, a number of funds, including uh, Pantheon, uh, Harbourvest, uh, Apex, um, which ha- have all seen quite strong performance uh, as well as 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 good 
discount narrowing. So I think the average discount in the sector now is about 17 or 18 percent. I'm happy at that level and will continue to hold those names. Okay. Now, um, other changes um, you've recently um, made include adding to Polar Capital Global Financials and Artemis Alpha. Why did you top these trusts up? Well, um, Polar Capital Global Financials, um, I like the the management team there. Um, Perhaps uh, with the benefit of hindsight, they launched this fund a little bit uh, too early, but... um, uh, it was uh, there to 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 try and uh, take advantage of um uh, of a potential recovery in in financial securities um, I took the opportunity to top up earlier in the year when Deutsche Bank was uh, deemed to be in trouble and the discount widened out quite a bit at that stage um, Polo capital the fund didn 't actually hold deutsche bank um, but uh you know, I read quite a lot of research on on Deutsche and, and concluded that uh, you know it wasn't an Armageddon situation, uh, so the discount was quite attractive at that stage. Clearly, with the uh, election of of, of uh, President Trump, um, financial markets, particularly in the U.S., have um, uh, have perked up, uh, particularly the banks and. You know, banks are incredibly sensitive to uh, rising interest rates. Uh, we obviously saw earlier this week a rise in U.S. interest rates. I think a lot of commentators have pushed up their expectations for more rises next year. Uh, and we may well see U.S. rates at 3.5% at the end of, uh, of 2017. Uh, that can have a profound impact on bank profits. Um, so... I think it's a little bit like um, the, the, the sort of recovery we've seen in, in, in the commodities and mining uh, sectors. Uh, these have been unwanted, unloved areas of the market for many years now. Um, so I think the reaction over time could be um, you know, quite impressive. I'm also encouraged by the fact that uh, with this fund, um, you will have the opportunity to get your your, your money back at asset mm-hmm. value in 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 2020. Um, so I don't think there's any great discount downside risk in in that particular holding. Okay, interesting moves. Um, you- the other one, Artemis yeah. Alpha, is uh, hmm, it's. Uh, I suppose it goes against um, uh, the, the, the adage of Warren Buffett about uh, uh, managers having skin in the game. Uh, the managers here, I think, have uh, you know, about 15 million of their own money invested mm-hmm. in the fund. It had uh, a disappointing period, um, impacted by the falling oil price, um, with a lot of exposure to junior aim-listed uh, oil uh, companies, uh, and one or two unfortunate investments in unquoteds, which didn't work out according to plan. Um, the, the the portfolio, I think, has been uh, restructured, and it, it, it fits uh, m- much more with my thinking now. So although it would be nice to have seen the bounce in, in some of those oil exploration stocks coming through in the performance, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm quite happy with the way the portfolio looks now. Um, and the shares were trading on a discount of more than 25% uh, when, when I added to the holding. Okay. Um, now, do you anticipate making any other changes to the fund in the near future? Um, it's, it's not a high turnover fund. So, you know, I... I I'm constantly sort of trawling through the sector and, and, and trying to identify uh, potential opportunities. 
uh, as I mentioned, I think there may be some, some, some further opportunities in the UK smaller companies and emerging market space. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's really a, a, a about investing for the long term. Um, so, you know, I, I will reserve uh, the full answer to that question until we speak, perhaps in the new year. Okay. I mean, with that in mind, we are entering a very uncertain environment as we go into 2017. So what would you say some of the main things are that investment trust investors need to take into consideration, um, you know, to meet the challenges ahead? Yeah, I mean, it's always uh, at this time of the year, people say, oh, it's going to be volatile and we've got these upcoming events and political uh, events and what's happening with this, that and the other. Um, the headwinds never seem to disappear. It's going to be uh, as, as difficult as ever, I'm sure. I, I think for investment trust investors, uh, I, I think there is a question of, of, of whether we see uh, more interest in in value type managers uh, going forward. Um, you know, the growth managers have had a a very good period until quite recently. Um, uh, whether uh, you know growth growth style will will come back into into vogue, particularly in a, in a sort of in rising interest rate environment. I suspect um, that that there may be opportunities there. So. You know, probably time to to look at some of the the, the value type funds, uh, which uh, in the UK smaller companies sector, you know, things like Aberfoyle smaller mm. companies, um, where one might expect there to be continued uh, merger and acquisition activity uh, impacting on their portfolios. So um, they had had a holding in a thing called E two V Technologies, which was uh, bid for at a forty seven percent premium last week. So there may be more of that sort of activity taking place as we go through next year. Um, uh, and again, I mean, I think you've got to keep a wary eye on 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 premiums um, and and make sure that um, you know a, a premium is justified, uh, and if not justified, to to, to take profits. Okay, interesting stuff. Um, thank you, Peter. And you can see the list of funds which beat their benchmark with lower volatility in Kate's article and on the website at www.investorschronicle.co.uk. Now, as well as picking the right investment, it's important to watch your trading costs. If fees are too high, they can have a detrimental impact on your returns, even if the investments perform well. But because of the varied and baffling number of costs that brokers charge, it can be very hard to know what your total bill is and what the different components of that bill are. Emma, you've been looking at some of the many charges you need to be aware of when choosing a broker. So what are examples of these? So you're right, Leonora, the, the list of, of potential fees is, is quite confusing. I mean, the main things can be broken down into administration fees, um, so that's what you would pay on on having an account with a broker. And then there are also the dealing or transaction fees to buy and sell investments, such as funds, shares, ETFs. And as well as that, you've also got the potential range of other fees, which um, can really add up things like um, dividend reinvestment, um, you know, activity fees, all the sort of unexpected things that you might not be aware you'll be charged for. So those are the main categories of, of fees that you know you need to look out for. Okay, so turning to administration fees, um, how do these work and what level of charge can you expect? 
So most platforms and brokers will charge you um, some kind of administration fee. Um, one of the confusing things is they all call them slightly different things. You know, some people call them custody mm. fees, some holding fees, some platform fees. Um, they're basically account management fees. So if you've opened an ISA, a SIP or a general investment account, you would generally tend to pay um, a fee on this. And they can either be percentage based, say on the, the value of your account holdings or flat, a flat fee, irrespective of the size of your portfolio size, of your portfolio rather. Um, and the experts that we spoke to said that if your pot is under a hundred thousand pounds, generally percentage fees would be better. And if it's more than that, flat fees would be better. So, um, something to bear in mind there. Um, in terms of the kind of charges you can expect to pay for flat fees, some of the um, brokers that we looked at, which thought were you know generally good um, amount, were Interactive Investor, which charges a quarterly fee of twenty pounds, and the Share Centre, which charges four pounds plus VAT per month. Um, and those are both for ISA accounts. Mm. Um, for percentage fees, there's there's variety around. Um, Tilney Best Invest ISA has a tiered fee. Um, and it basically charges 0.4% on your account under £250,000. Um, and that increases for each amount. Um, so above £1 million, there is no charge. Um, so, yeah, those are kind of the options that you can look at. There's a full list in, in, the, in this week's article. OK, um, that does sound like a bit of a, a minefield. Mm. I think you mentioned in the article as well that um, this is particularly relevant to investors thinking of going into income drawdown in retirement. Can, can you explain a bit further why it's of particular interest to this type of investor? Yes, definitely. I mean, the main thing is that platforms and brokers will often have different fees for different kinds of accounts. So if you've got a, a SIP, self-invested personal um, pension, um, that might have different fees to mm. having an ISA or having a general investment account. Um, and so as well as the different types of fees on your different accounts, um, SIP accounts tend to have um, often a very pick and mix structure. So depending on what actual behaviour you're going to follow, you'll be um, expected to pay more or less. And that can be quite confusing unless you're very sure what you're going to do um, and how much that's going to cost you. So it's something definitely to look into the detail of how um, your SIP is going to be administered depending on what kind of behaviours you are, are planning to follow. Okay. Now, what sort of charges can investors expect to pay to deal funds and shares? Um, typically, it's it's generally about £10 or more mm. um, per trade. Um, but there are some very low-cost op- options out there. Um, currently, the lowest cost we could find was Dutch execution-only stockbroker De Hero. Um, and they charge £1.75 plus 0.004% per trade. Um, and they'll cap it on uh, at £5. So that's for UK stock. So that's obviously a very low cost offer. Mm. Um, there are also a few very you know low cost offers around iWeb, which charges £5 per trade on both stocks and funds. And exo.co.uk, which charges £5.95 per trade on UK equities. So there's a few there's a few um, low cost options out there. Okay. Um, and are there any um, platforms where um, you, your overall fees might include some of this? 
Yes. It's not so much on on shares, but with funds, there are several platforms that don't charge for fund dealing at all. And obviously, it's all included in the administration Mm. costs we we spoke about earlier. So, for example, Access Self-Investor, Fidelity Personal Investing, Charles Stanley Direct and Hargreaves Lansdowne and TD Direct Investing. None of them charge for fund dealing. Okay, that's um, that's very useful for fund investors. Mm. Um, I suppose the issue is not all platforms do this. So are there any other ways to cut the costs of trading if your pl- platform doesn't offer free trades for um, funds or, or the assets that you've invested in? Um, yes, one of the good ways is regular investing. So if you can commit to, to investing every month, um, many platforms and brokers will cap the amount that you you can spend you can um, you need to spend to, to purchase funds and shares so for example um, AJ Bell Align Trust Savings and Hargreaves Lansdowne will offer you £1.50 per trade um, to make you mm. know to buy make and sell, buy and sell investments so that's a lot a lot cheaper than the yeah. regular standard yeah, so, rates so, so yeah if you, can, if you can if you can commit to that that's great yeah Okay. Now, trading, I suppose, is, is something very obvious. But um, I think, as you said, there's a whole raft of fees out there. So, um, you know, what would be examples of hidden or less obvious fees that you mm-hmm. might get stung with by a broker? Yeah, sure. So um, one of them is an inactivity fee. And basically, um, brokers will charge you if, you if you fail to trade a minimum number of times in a month or quarter, some of them. So, for example, self-trade doesn't have an account management um, fee, but it will hit you for £10 plus VAT per quarter if you don't make any trades in the previous quarter. Um, likewise, Club Finance, which has also got very low dealing costs, um, from January they'll be charging a £15 per quarter um, if you make less than three trades in the previous quarter. So, yes, it's something to be aware of because, I mean, if you have got a sort of buy and hold mm. strategy um, and perhaps, you know, you don't really want to be trading a lot, that could you need to double check that your platform or broker is not going to sort of, you know, hit you for, for an inactivity fee. Okay, an important one to bear in mind. And for more on this, see Emma's article in this week's magazine. And for a table of a full range of broker charges you need to be aware of, check the website. That brings us to the end of this week's podcast. So it just remains to thank Kate Bailey and Emma Ajimang, Deputy Personal Finance Editor and Personal Finance Writer's Investors Chronicle, and special guest Peter Walls, Manager of IC Top 100 Fund Unicorn Master Trust. You can read more on funds which outperform with lower volatility and the broker charges you need to be aware of in this week's issue of Investors Chronicle and the website. Thank you for listening and have a good weekend.